Welcome to Source of Uncertainty, episode 14. I'm Robert Standifer. And I'm Kyle Swisher. And here we are in the double digits of our show, well into the double digits. We're halfway to 20. Well, not really, more than halfway to 20, but we're halfway to 20 to the teens. There we go. Chew on that that for a bit. And cut. No, (laughs) what do we have going on? Um, Well, something really cool. If you follow Instagram, you might have seen Todd Barton posted a uh, very nice video where he shows off our new T-shirts, which were all yeah. Kyle's idea. <laughs> it was it was only a matter of time, you know. It's the um, only reason we got into this because we're going to make yeah, mad yeah. bank. I couldn't find any T-shirts anywhere else, so yeah. You know. <laughs> I have to order everything in a custom size, so I was like, "What do you have in a twenty XL?" <laughs> that says Bukla on it. This is, yeah, there's this the Bukla sign on it. That's how big the shirt is. That's the, my COVID weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely had to uh, jump up to that XL. Um, I so yeah, uh, actually want to give a shout out to uh, the most recent uh, artist spotlight artist uh, Jim Schoenicker, who actually kind of helped put that design together for us um and yeah those there's two different designs kind of based off of the source of uncertainty um and you can find that at source of uncertainty.threadless.com i bought two of them one of each um style and mm-hmm. i mean jokes aside you know i'm i am a man of the rotund persuasion um <laughs> despite the sveltness of my voice and the the shirts you know i'm not going to shill for them i'd be honest they're actually very comfortable I, I wore yeah. them uh, around the house because I can't go anywhere. But um, they're, you know, I didn't, they're, they're, they're nice shirts. I like Threadless. I started browsing through other stuff. I, I have, the, there was another Buchla shirt there a long time ago, uh, the Buchla Secret Society shirt that I I found oh, yeah. when I was, I was searching you, you, my email for it. Yeah, you were wearing that, I think, uh, when we first met. That's, that's right, I knew. was. Yeah, that's how you... <laughs> I was like this guy because I wasn't wearing the fez that they issue when you join. <laughs> yeah, because that's two hundred e only, so you wouldn't have a fez and you wouldn't have known anyway. Mm-hmm. So, the <laughs> so what else is going on? The two hundred eight c is out. Well, I should say it's it's reaching people who have who pre ordered it. Quite a few. I see a lot of videos um, on Facebook and Muffwiggler and other places. Well, on YouTube, I guess. People yeah. are, have you seen anything interesting, any cool? I mean, lots of people are new to the Bukla world through the 208C. Have you seen anything interesting? Yeah. I mean, I, it's just kind of starting out. So it's, you know, a lot of like, you know, unboxings and for, <laughs> first plug it, you know, <laughs> plug it in. So it is, uh, you know, it's like, oh man, I've been there. I've, I've fumbled with that thing and not knowing what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited to see. I guess, yeah, kind of what people start pairing with it, yeah. um, you know, because the whole focus of that was to make it very easy to be compatible with with uh, other controllers and whatnot. So, like, I haven't seen much, you know, obviously, I think the Sensil Morph is probably a good pairing with that. So, yeah, I think those are out of stock. So a lot of people are waiting oh, for them. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, one of my friends got um, a 208C, and you know, I'm v- very welcoming of people to the Bukla world. I'm 
that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. I think I'd love for everybody to have it, but I can't help but tease the people that I know personally about <laughs> their 2.8Cs. Because one of my friends who was a heavy Eurorack user, really happy with that. He got a 2.8C and he posted a video of his first exploration. And <laughs> he was like, he pulled out the, the banana cables and was like tapping the, the CV jacked with it because he's trying to figure out how hard he has to push on the banana cable oh. to go into the CV. <laughs> I was like, man, the simple things that we take for granted, like the amount of pounds per square inch one must use when plugging in a banana cable, that is <laughs> truly new to the, yeah. so yeah, he was, he was just being ginger with it because it was kind of expensive. We started to get some pretty cool sounds out of it, uh, running it through a uh, blue, uh, Strymon big sky. And, yeah. um, you know, started getting really creative with the, the modulation oscillator as a, as a second sound source. And pretty, it kind of makes me miss my easel. And there's some really neat things about the 208C that I'd like to explore. So, you know, probably next month, the month after, as more people are getting them and we're seeing more stuff come out, there'll be a lot more to say about that and it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It actually has inspired me to kind of, I guess as my secondary case has been growing and kind of becoming more self-sufficient where I, for it seems like the past year and a half, I've kind of used the easel as like the auxiliary stuff. Like, Oh, I need one more envelope. So I'll pull that from the, the 208 or I'm going to use another oscillator. So I'll pull it up from the 208, but I'm now kind of just going back to focusing on it. And I never really messed with that secondary using the, um, the routing through the secondary gate, which you can kind of make it into like a high pass filter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with that. So, so yeah, I'm excited to see more people get into it and see what they do. Maybe someone will loan us one and we can play. Yeah. When COVID is over and we can do it in person because these module segments that we do solo, they're way too lonely. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like right in the middle i'm like right robert and then i go oh yeah he's not here i reach out my hand to tap you on the like <laughs> clap you on the back because i you've done something crazy but it hasn't <laughs> happened it's just all nope. in my head yeah yeah so speaking of lonely and crazy uh metasonics has released a new module in bucle format it's a it looks like a vacuum tube vca and it has a French name. I mean, that's really cool that, that you know, taking some inspiration from Kane Association and giving a module a French name. It's the um, Tripla Sublime Asiate. And uh, you can find it at Noisebug. So what's on the show today, Kyle? What do we got? Who's our guest? We've got the man, the legend, the mystery, which I hope we kind of dig into. <laughs> Doug Clotter. Yeah. I hope we make it clear just how mysterious Doug is. <laughs> I mean, you go to his website and it's pretty mysterious. It is. Yeah. You go to like so, studiohsoftware.com slash modular and there are no modules. <laughs> Got to hit that contact. Got to reach out. Well, obviously you've had a lot of Doug's modules um, all of doug's modules oh yeah. except for the 255 yeah so yeah it was good to kind of dig in because I've, I've there's been like two people and i think i mentioned this when we talked to him that have um that know doug and they're like man that dude can patch he's like a, a patch ninja so um so yeah i don't know it's good to to get to know him yeah he's a cool guy he's from portland so he's um a very typical 
Pacific Northwesterner, you know, Kyle and, and I know what that means probably more than most of our listeners, but kind of had that nice vibe going on. And for me, it was, as I kind of expressed in the interview, spoiler alert, it was like after talking to Doug for years, you know, two or three years now via email about everything Buchla, I mean, just everything you can imagine, <laughs> finally seen, you know, and he had his video on too. And so I yeah. had to undo all of this assumption that I had formed. <laughs> this mental projection of Doug <laughs> yeah. that you had in your head. It doesn't yeah. look at all like I thought he would, you know, because there's like one video of him and it was shot in 240p. So it's impossible <laughs> to see what he looks like. <laughs> so he's kind of like, yeah, Northwestern guy, grainy video. He's kind of like the yeah. the uh, Bigfoot. Of, yeah, he, uh, and even the way he walks through the video, you're like, hmm, is that that is that Doug, is that a Doug Clotter sighting? We should get t-shirts made. <laughs> he's yeah, he's 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 a lot of fun. So you've got you've got a lot to look forward to there in the next few minutes. And the other thing is that um, because I own or have owned almost all of Doug's modules. I did a, I've done a short-ish segment on the dual programmable oscillator slash DPO slash 258E oscillators. Um, and that's, that's a, that was a lot of fun. I spent most of the day, Saturday, I guess, mm -hmm. Sunday, Saturday. I don't know, man, the days are all running together. Anyway, yeah. <clears throat> and I thought when I created the patch, and I, I'm not sure I mentioned this in the segment, so I'm saying it now, but <laughs> when I created the patch, I thought, I just want to use this as a sound source. I don't want to use any filters or, you know, I thought about running it through the 285E frequency shifter because that does some really crazy stuff. But mm -hmm. I thought, you know, if someone bought a system that had a 259E and the DPO and a 292H, 281H, or even that, or even the, and the E pair, you know, like an LM3, yeah. just those three modules, you could do incredible things with that i mean just like out of this world possibilities with that and then throw in doug's new thing that will <laughs> he talks about in the interview spoiler there and you wouldn't even need a 225e or 206e for that and uh, man just imagine what like I, I could go perform live with that and do completely different sounds every single show so a lot of fun yeah and it was nice we've used that module on a lot of the uh, featured module sections yeah. As, you know our sound source so it was kind of but you know we're throwing it into um a filter or showing off something else so it was good to just uh hear you focus on it yeah i know that sequence that is at the end i listened to that for like four hours i think <laughs> I'm, i, I a, mean was that was a good sequence yeah that's, yeah, that's, it's probably that's like really two hours it just kept playing <laughs> while i was doing a bunch of programming and stuff but yeah so Without, I don't know why I talked about that segment that you're about to hear more than let's the segment actually is. So let's hear it. This is the Studio H Dual Programmable Oscillator DPO. It's also commonly referred to as the 258E. And if you're familiar with the 258, or one of its clones, you might recognize the crazy effects you get when you really start ratcheting up the FM.
This is a really fun module. It, it's capable of so many wonderful things. Sounds amazing. Easy to use. Really powerful. So let's explore. So this module is made by Studio H, which is uh, Doug Clotter, and it's a, it fills a, a real gap, I think, in the um, in the Buchla ecosystem. So this module said is the Dual Programmable Oscillator, or DPO, not to be confused with the Make Noise DPO. And like I also said, it's often called the 258E. And that's for the two reasons that it is inspired by the original 258. And the E, of course, means that it supports the 200E preset bus. So all of the features of this module are stored in a preset, which is where it really, that's one of the really big advantages of this. Because unlike the 258, which requires you to patch, you know, the, the two oscillators to, to each other, the 258E or the DPO is normaled. So you set up a modulation and you can cross mod the two oscillators and store that in a preset. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me tell you about this module. So first of all, this is 100% analog, no digital in it, no digitally controlled oscillators all analog, and it is um, two oscillators, an A and B, so oscillator A on the left and oscillator B on the right. Each oscillator has two audio outputs and three CV inputs, one for um, modulation index, one for wave shape, and then one for frequency CV input, like for pitch. It also has MIDI support, so it will work on the MIDI bus if you have a 225E or a 225H. And in MIDI mode, the frequency knob works as an offset, so that's pretty neat. Um, I don't have MIDI in, in my setup right now, so I can't demonstrate that, but it's a pretty cool feature. Uh, the, each oscillator features hard sync and soft sync, so you can get that uh, the car's sound if you're going for that. And um, it has, each oscillator has um, a, a primary wave shape that morphs to another wave shape. So oscillator A goes sine to saw, and oscillator B goes sine to square. Both oscillators have an audio FM input, just like on the, uh, the 259E and 261E waveform generators. And uh, the audio range is from a very, very low LFO to a very high pitch, which I believe is G9. So that's a pretty high frequency. And, you know, it just sounds, it sounds really good, really easy to use. Uh, I use this oscillator, uh, this module a lot, uh, usually for drones with the slow modulation of the FM and such. So let's explore this a little bit. Um, the two main things I want to do, so I'm not going to really go through creating a big patch. I just want to explore it a bit and give you an, an idea of uh, the different ways that you can work with this module to get some different, some interesting and different timbres. So I'm going to reset back to just the basic waveforms. Okay, bring those up into audio rate. 
go. Turn off the reverb for now. So both A and B, A is coming out of the left channel and B is coming out of the right channel. Both of them are, are uh, sine waves. So I'll turn off B for a second. You can hear A and then it goes sine to saw. And then B goes sine to square. if I can match that up slightly. There we go. So now I'm, each oscillator has a mod type button that has three options, wave, amplitude, or so wave shape, amplitude, and FM. And you can have all of them turned on, two of them turned on, one of them turned on. Basically you can have all the combinations of the mod types turned on. And so each oscillator has that. So when I press on oscillator A, I turn on FM and increase the modulation index and modulates oscillator B. When I turn on FM for oscillator B and increase the oscillator or the uh, uh, modulation index, it modulates A. So there's a cross mod going on here, which is which is pretty nice. And so I can increase the mod index on A to increase the amount of FM modulation and or, or FM I should say and then I can increase the F, the modulation index on B to do the same to A and kind of hear the bell tone that is possible from frequency modulation right there which is um, kind of neat to put that in a sequence with a, a long reverb tail makes for some really interesting possibilities so, going into amplitude modulation, that is similar to what you experience in the, um, the 259E or the 261, or really the, the 261E. Um, and that's amp modulating both amplitude and FM for both oscillators. So I'm going to make it go quiet, because I turned up the modulation index. This is wave shape off uh, modulation on both. So that will quickly modulate between sine and saw and sine and square for the two. And they're cross-modded, so it yields some really interesting effects. Then that's wave and FM, wave and amplitude, and all three. So I'll leave that on. That's all three in oscillator B. There's that bell tone. I like that sound. So this, when I sweep the modulation index on B, it drastically changes the sound of uh, A. So you can think of it as, uh, in this example, oscillator A is the carrier and oscillator B is the modulator. When I have the FM mod type turned on for A, and then oscillator B is the carrier and oscillator A is the modulator when I have FM turned on on mod type for B. So got all that. <laughs> when you're using the module, it, it makes a lot more sense. Um, I usually don't really think about all of the intricacies of synthesis types and, and such, you know, carriers and modulators. I just start plugging things in and get the effects that I'm looking for. Okay. Now I'm going to take a um, twisted waveform generator, and it's in twisted mode. 
and I'm going to take that output and put it into the FM input for oscillator A and turn that up. I'm going to turn off modulation there. So now as I sweep through Memskew, getting some interesting results. So all that's coming out of oscillator A. Now if I turn that down so we only hear B, oscillator A is modulating, is FMing oscillator B internally. So as I turn the Memskew knob, which will FM oscillator A, you can hear the impact on oscillator B. So let me turn that off. So now with, with FM mod type turned off, and as I switch, uh, sweep the Memskew knob, of course you don't hear anything because it doesn't have an effect on oscillator B unless that mod type is turned on. By the way, this is there's a video of me doing this, so if um, you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll see the video. Otherwise, it'll we'll publish it in a couple of months for everybody. All right, so going back to here, bring that back in. So now, if I turn on FM for oscillator B, just things really start to get crazy. And I'm not modulating the frequency like the, the base frequency of either oscillator with any CV, I'm just leaving the pitch as they are. But as I start to turn those, you know, they'll have this turning the oscillator frequency knob on B and then on A. Gonna get some Klaus Schultz time wind stuff going on there. So we can also use the 261E to, mod to FM the, um, the, on the FM input of oscillator B. I'm gonna turn off the FM mod from A and just have an audio input. So now we'll put that 259E back into the FM input of A, turn on the wave shape modulation. I mean, it's just going nuts. I like that. Okay, so clearly there, you know, as Todd Barton says, you're only as expressive as your control voltages. So if you use different CV sources to modulate, for example, modulation index, which controls the amount of modulation from the carrier or from the modulator, the modulators, the, the, <laughs> which CVs the amount of modulation from the oscillator to the other. So like if you're using oscillator A to modulate oscillator B, the modulation index will control how much modulation B will get from A. Whew, that's a mouthful. So you could CV that with all kinds of different sources to really interesting effects um, and interesting outcomes. Ditto for the wave shape itself, using external CV to modulate that using, um, you know, if you had high, a high amount of CV and a low amount of CV, it's sort of like in a, in a, pull, in a square wave 
or you know, you're sitting at their slew limiter and you're just kind of modulating the shape really slowly. You can do all kinds of really neat things and, and get unpredictable results, perhaps at the outset, but over time as you really start to get a feel for how this module really works, you can kind of have in mind, you know, an area of timbre or a range of timbres and um, and dial those in pretty pretty easily. I like, like I said earlier, I like to create bell tones with this and use them as drones, or uh, dual gate them, and and just the possibilities are endless. The other thing that I really love about the DPO, the 258E, is how well it tracks pitch. So to close out the segment. Let's create a, a nice simple sequence. I'm going to use the 252E. I have two sequences, one 16 step that will go to oscillator B, and one 8 step that will go to oscillator A. So the first thing I need to do is tune the oscillators. So here's A. Okay, and so I will go to. That is that sounds pretty good actually. That's right at A3. Perfect. And perfect. So that's sounding like a, is about what we want. And now I'll go to oscillator B. And that is that sounds a little like a maybe a D. Yep, it's a D. So we'll bring that up to an A. One octave. Uh, lower than oscillator A. Okay, so here they are together. Perfect. All right, so um, I'm just going to. So here, well, let me see here. This is the waveform for A. I like it there, halfway, a little bit, almost halfway between sine and saw. And then. And then we'll play with that while the sequence runs. Okay, I'm going to turn on just a touch of reverb. And here we go. Okay, so on the 252E, I want the 8-step sequence to go through twice while the 16-step plays so. So yeah, it tracks pitch really, really well. So just looking at um, oscillator A, yeah, that's pretty cool. So you can tell it, it's tracking really well as I go through the, the knobs here.
Cool. Yeah, seems really nice and super easy to program because the TIFF2E has um, CV values, the quantize, so 0 0.0, 0 0.1, and so on. Um, so really easy to dial in, you know, a, a sequence in an A minor. Um, so it sounds really cool. Yeah, so this is a really fun module. You know, I've talked about it a few times on the show. It's pretty essential. It um, sits right in very well with the 259E and 261E uh, oscillator modules from Buchla. And it also works great with my very wonky, weird Zero Oscillator, which is an F FM oscillator that just goes into, into nutso pretty fast. So the 250E can do it all. It can go the whole gamut from quiet, dulcet, you know, nice, simple waveforms like these, which are just traditional, you know, um, saw and sine to or sine and sawtooth and square and can quickly go into nuts see So we want to welcome Doug Clotter to the show. We're really excited to have you here. Welcome, Doug. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to just jump right into the thousands of questions. That we, so you and I have been chatting over email for the past few years as I've got some of your modules and you've helped me fix a bunch of my problems. And I'd say we spent a lot of time together back in the Christmas era, the Christmas time <laughs> going back and forth trying to fix my preset lockups. Um, so it's really exciting to have you here, and I've got a million questions, but the thing that I, I think everybody wants to know is, who are you? <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, who is anybody on the internet? Um, I started um, down this path. I'm a, a real uh, late adopter of electronic gear. Um, I started down this path around 2007. And for whatever reason, I think this is kind of a new thing on YouTube at the time. I was looking for mashups, and I was really interested in in craftwork mashups for whatever reason. And um, it was the day after Christmas, I think, and I was I was scrolling through these different you know, searching things on YouTube, and I, I stumbled on a Korg EMX um, video of somebody that did computer a cover of Computer Love, uh -huh. and it was it just was stunning to me. It's like I had no idea, and so my the thing here is that it was not that stunning. In fact, probably for anybody who's got anything to do with synthesizers, but for me not being involved in it, I just, I had no idea that this type of thing was even possible. So I, I think within a week I had put in an order for a Korg EMX and I got the CMX and I was fiddling around with it and um, fiddled around with it quite a bit. And that was the first time, you know, so in the EMX um, manual, you can see the architecture. They, they've got, uh, flow diagrams of their architecture. Mm -hmm. It's the very first time I, I saw the word oscillator, you know, so it's like, wow. oh, well, I guess the oscillator makes sense. You know, it's like a vibrating guitar string, whatever. So I saw, I started to become familiar with like what, you know, the, the, the terms an oscillator, filter, amplifier, and the different architectures that the EMX had inside their manual there, you know, uh, yeah. formed of the basis of my very first understandings. And so then, then it wasn't long before, and maybe I'm inclined in this direction, uh, to discover module, uh, modular systems on. So, so then you start, you immediately start saying, okay, well, the Korg EMX has this capability. Um, what do other, you know, what, 
and it doesn't take very long to look at a look online and see, well, if you have a modular, you can have a hundred oscillators, <laughs> you know, or you can have a hundred filters or whatever. It's like, well, that's pretty fascinating. And so, uh, that corresponded around with the time it was David Morley's fault. Um, David Morley, of course, has a has a few videos on YouTube, circa uh, 2008 or so. One of him uh, with an ARP, and uh, the other one w with his Buchla 200. And it's like, oh my God, look at this thing! If I had these things, I would never leave the house. To I think that's a beautiful <laughs> <I had> quote, <laughs> but, uh, roughly speaking. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so so then I, I went to eBay and uh, purchased a six U uh, double decker um, Dopfer system. Dopfer. Does everybody say Dopfer or Dopfer anyway? In German, yeah. it's it's Dopfer. Dopfer. Anyway, Dipfer. so so I bought this system and I had no idea what I was doing. I had these patch cores. I can barely remember. I think it was right around. I think it must have been 2007. This is before Muffwiggler. Wasn't before Muffwiggler. It was before I joined Muffwiggler, and I was still on electromusic.com asking questions up there because that was the. I don't know if that's still a thing. Like I don't want to disparage that place. But, you know, everything <laughs> kind of moved to Muffwiggler. I don't even uh, know. I don't think I've heard of that. Okay, good. All right. So anyway, I, I don't, <laughs> anyway, and if I uh, haven't heard it, I mean, yeah, then it couldn't. It can't, can't be important. But anyway, so uh, so I got this. So I got this six U uh, fur and uh, I was. I remember sitting there on the floor. And uh, uh, trying to patch it, and I had no idea what I was doing. And one day, I and I didn't know what control voltages were. And this thing had this this thing. It had a source of uncertainty. The the dope for source of uncertainty modules in there. Yeah. But who would have ever picked this stuff? I had no idea who would have designed. Who would have chosen these modules? I had no idea. The references there. I had no idea. I didn't even know what Buchla was. And so I was patching this thing together. And at one point, I was applying an envelope to the filter, and it's like, oh my god, that's, that's this is sound. what this is. This is the sound. This is how they do it. So, so it was really a matter of a, which is totally unnecessary in this day and age of a completely isolated uh, exploration with no. That's, I mean, not asking me. I didn't think to reach out. And in fact, at the time, it was the the dope for Yahoo group. I think that was another part of it, but another part of the culture, circa 2008. If you go back to that, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you can still see it, but if you look at the the dope for Yahoo group, you can see the history of uh, of volume on that group, and it like peaked in 2008. I mean, in in a huge way, and it's like, what was happening in 2008? I don't know, but I I managed. I was right in the middle of it, right at the time, and um, and so then I started building up this huge Eurorack system. I hope I'm answering your question. Anyway, so I, yeah. this, I had I had no idea. I thought you were. I thought you were an electrical engineer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought you yeah, were an yeah. electrical engineer that worked at Buchla or something. Well, there's no, there's that too. There's that's that's a few. That's not as interesting. Well, I don't not to say that this is interesting, but anyway, so I built this. I ended up building up this huge Eurorack system, and I was getting into cases because, like everybody in modular, I hate spending money on cases. So I started going on eBay and and look what is VMA. What's the word? What's the acronym? VM. Anyway, there's a there's an ac there's a industry standard uh, for the cases. Eurorack borrows. Uh, uh, Dieter borrowed a standard industry case for okay. Eurorack. And so, if you're really sly at the time, sorry, I'm not paying myself a compliment, but it, you could get on eBay and you could buy these <laughs> compatible industrial cases uh, for almost nothing. Depending, I mean, if other people got onto it, yeah, maybe the price would go up, but maybe you could get a case for a hundred bucks 
or maybe it was missing a power supply, that sort of thing. But you get the rails or, or you could get yeah. a box of rails, which was really important. Right. <laughs> so so uh, so I started building up this massive Eurorack system out of these um, um, industrial cases. And you can see in my early. So I'm boob tube 356, which is a ridiculous name. Boob tube <laughs> was already taken. And I thought at the time, boob tube is ideal name because this is a total waste of time and it's for idiots, <laughs> right? So that, that's where that name comes from. But anyway, and I put the 356 on the end because for whatever reason, that name was already taken, which is internet experience. But anyway, so, uh, so I started posting these videos. And the reason was that nobody had videos. It was, I mean, you had David Morley and you had just a few others. Yeah, like uh, Pef or Kurt had a had a easel, a wonderful easel video, and so and there were a lot of questions, and it was probably about this time that I joined Mofwigler, and there's a lot of questions and a lot of uh, misunderstandings and whatever, and I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to start dumping stuff on on YouTube, and there's that moment when you're patching when something comes together, and you're like, oh God, I should really share this. This is like a magical mm -hmm. moment, and then when you share it, it's this static, dull thing. But to you, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Right? Yeah, you're, thought, out of, you're out of screen, just like pumping your fist. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And then you're thinking, oh, I can't touch it because anything I touch here is going to ruin it. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, you, uh, so I started posting all these. Um, videos and, and it was one day i was sitting there i was looking at this and i started, started getting into schwayman and who's the guy uh oh man my brain's not working this morning so uh matthew davidson is that his name hmm. strata strata ha strata it's really hmm. funny to think back at this strata had a video on youtube this is all youtube driven it's funny how much this is internet driven right yeah. but anyway so so back on uh back in 2009 or whatever strata had this video of him doing stuff with the uh is it mono may or mono Anyway, Monome. Monome, yeah, Monome. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, so he's writing software for his Monome, and he's he's running. The point is, he's running this giant dope for system, and nobody had systems like that at the time. Or if they did, they weren't on YouTube. And so it's like one of the biggest systems out there. And he was starting to do Schwayman, and that got my eye. It's like mm -hmm. Schwayman's pretty cool, man. And so you know, this stuff sounds pretty good. And so I started buying the Schwayman stuff, and then I started buying Plan B stuff, and it was kind of moving away from Dofer, but it was and then just barely into make noise like the um, the QMMG, which I yeah. really regret yeah. selling. I had QMMG number 12. It was beautiful. Wow. Uh, yellow circuit boards. I, I emailed uh, the guy. Tony. Tony. Yeah. Right after I got it, I said, man, this thing's amazing. I hope you like soldering. Because <laughs> you're going to be making a lot of these things. Uh, didn't get an answer. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> so... Uh, um, I was sitting there looking at it. I thought, you know, I should just get more Schwayman. And at this time I had this system, it was probably 15 grand, right? Wow. You know, because it doesn't take long to build up this oh, yeah. giant Euro rack. And I've got this huge, and because it's incremental. It's like, okay, I got all these 160 series that I got for 90 bucks each or whatever. And then I've got some that are 400 or whatever. And over time, it just got to be more and more and more. And then I was looking, okay, you know, I, or, or maybe I was thinking make noise and harvest man. Cause at the time make noise was really blowing up. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll just like swap out everything out of Euro rack. And I was looking at like a $3,500 idea. Like I'm going to spend 3,500 bucks and I'm going to make a move towards make noise or something like that. And so you had it in your mind, like, I'm not going to mix stuff. Like I'm just going to go all in. 
on, on one not minute, so, yeah. you know not so much i mean so the offerings were fewer i think i sure. would have more of that today because there's mm -hmm. such a wild offering today that it might enter your mind to limit your constrain your for aesthetic reasons right constrain yeah. your the scope of what you're like you might want to do all verbose or something like that just for the aesthetics of it that wasn't really there because you just didn't have that explosion yet. It was just starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, okay, I got these Shway in. I got Plan B, which is, was wonderful gear and mostly dope fur. And I'm going to start moving more towards make noise and maybe some other things. And uh, part of the Euro experience, I don't want to bash on the Euro experience. I think it's a very common situation that part of the Euro experience is this constant churn mm -hmm. in, your, in your collection of modules. And it was kind of exhausting. It's sort of like... I'm tired of the buying and selling and the baseball card collecting <laughs> aspect of yeah. this thing and the panic when somebody comes out like a live wire comes out with a module like, Oh God, you know, I, there's 20 of them and the guy isn't going to make any more and I better get one. And so I don't even need it, but I want it just in case, you know, that type of stuff. You, so, hey, it sounds like you're making fun of me. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I was That's just having, yeah. And then Buchla module comes out from somebody and like, Oh God, there are only 20. I have to have one. Yeah, 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 right. Exactly. So there's this collector card aspect to it yeah. that was kind of, what's the word? It was exhausting or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's not attached to making, making music. <laughs> yeah, we're not even not talking like about that. that. Finally, this guy made the one, you know, 20 modules, and that's going to make my music that much better. Yeah, and another thing you, know. you find, you find a, uh, I think we were just talking about that. There's a, there's a um, what is it, confirmation bias or something when... You would see people just freaking out online about their new module, mm -hmm. and then you'd get one. And you're like, you know, well, come on, yep. <laughs> you know. And so the idea is that you, everybody's kind of not everyone, but a lot of people are participating in this feedback loop where they really are excited about the new thing, and once they get it, it the the excitement carries into the new thing, even though the new thing isn't exciting. Something like mm -hmm. that. And then yeah. it spreads. And then you're like, well, and so then there's this. Okay, I got this thing. It's a letdown. What am I doing? You know, why am I, why, why do I keep biting this bait that says, yeah. you know, somebody's freaking out online. I'm going to buy this thing. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so there's this kind of exhaustion. And so I started to yearn and in the background, I became somewhere along the way, I became aware of Buchla. The Buchla was still there. That was there. Well, Buchla was, which was a, a strange moment because going from David Morley, which I figured this was totally inaccessible hardware to this weird realization that there's a website out there with Buchla stuff on it. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really know. So I had to learn that whole problem of the movement from 200 to 200 E later, you know, all the whatever <laughs> the opinions yeah. and baloney around that. So I didn't really know. Uh, and I started thinking, you know, with a, like, so I started thinking Surge maybe or Buchla. And I went mm -hmm. with Buchla really primarily, well, I, I had a list of reasons that I made at the time. So I could go back to it, but but do you still uh, have it? You can whip. I do, yeah, I do. Right I do have. It. I don't know exactly where it is. Oh I, man, I, I want to see that. You should share. Well, it. I yeah. found it at the time. I found it a while back, and I was looking. at it. I was like, are these true? You know. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But one of the main things, one of the main reasons I chose Book. So so I was concerned about getting out of this Eurorack trap of just and and plus I had this like pile of hardware that was worth some money that I could use towards yeah. buying you know a Buchler or a Surge, <laughs> and I thought if I get a Surge here. It, the problem is that the surge is infinitely extensible again, mm. I, and I don't know if that's a concern with surge, really. I don't, you know, I don't know that people. I know there were some huge surge systems, but I thought, you know, I'm just going to start stacking these cases again, 
and I'm going to come up with this massive surge system. And I thought, okay, the Buchla is different. So this is one of the, well, this is one of the ideas that tipped me towards Buchla. It's like, it's this, you can't really expand it. There's only so many modules. There's yeah. only so much you can do here. I'm not going to buy two cases probably. I'm just going to get this one, which I have two cases now, but I, uh, <laughs> the, which I justified in a very strange way. But anyway, so the, 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 I still have the 18U that I bought. So I think in, in 2009 or 2010, I reached out to Don and it was right when the, I, 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 it was, uh, I reached out to Don and I said, okay, are you guys going to do the 259E again? He goes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was kind of like the decision point. It's like, okay, yeah. if I was telling myself, if he, they're going to do the 259E again, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. Mm -hmm. And so I did. So he said, yeah, the 259E's come. It, it hadn't hit the streets yet, but he said that, yeah, they were, they were doing it. So it was, it was going to come out in this twisted uh, version. Cool. And uh, so I went ahead and I started selling. Did I start selling off? I think I sold. I didn't start selling off everything. I sold off enough to make a down payment. You had to pay at the time. You had to pay a half to Don to get the thing going. So um, I paid uh, the deposit and then I waited and waited and was driving me crazy. I don't know how long I waited, but I started getting worried, you know, like everybody <laughs> does, I suppose. It's like, God, you know, and so I started trying to like think of ways that I could encourage or, or expedite. <laughs> and so there was a, there was a synth meet in Southern Cal, uh, sorry, uh, in the Bay area down at the Hagger Dojo, which is just South of the Bay, as I recall. Uh, and I said that uh, I, I approached Dawn and I said, you know, it'd be really cool if I could just come down there and pick up my Buchla at that synth meet. There you go. Yeah. And that worked. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> that worked. They said, okay, yeah, yeah. And this is the time Don Schatz was there, or sorry, John Schatz was there mm. and uh, at Bukla. And so uh, I, I drove down there and I uh, hung out at that hacker dojo. And I, I remember vividly seeing John Schatz unloading a six space boat <laughs> to bring into the, and I, the very first time I saw Bukla in real life, I'm like, wow, that's pretty weird looking. I hope I, <laughs> I hope I like what I just spent all this money on. So anyway, he brought it in and uh, it was a very exhausting day. I mean, so people were coming up to me. So, so basically that at some point they brought, it wasn't Don when Don, okay. So, but some, at some point someone arrived and, and brought in that, or maybe John brought it in. It was in boxes below the table. That's maybe what it was. And so they finally unpacked it and I had this 18 WLS. It wasn't, uh, 18 spacer that wasn't totally filled out and uh and people started just surrounding me and i got all these questions yeah. like how does a bukla work and i'm like i, oh, don't know. I have no idea <laughs> i bought it i don't know anything about it so i did an interview i did a couple of interviews and fortunately they never surfaced because i was a moron but um <laughs> but anyway uh so uh, that that was where I, I I met a few people uh, there who are still on uh, Muff Wiggler and wow. Google folks, and so it was kind of exciting. Um, and some people have pointed back and said, "Hey, that was kind of a moment for me too when I decided I wanted a Buchla. There was something about that Buchla arriving there that was that was pretty cool. And uh, and yeah, so that's how I wound up in the Buchla system, and that was probably about 2009, 2010. And uh, I started putting Buchla videos up, so you can check my. Uh, boobtube356 YouTube channel. It's all that garbage is still up there. The very first video I made of the 200E is is right there. It's like an old flip cam, right? Like the really old version of the uh, ancient version of cams. Because I've I've seen some of your videos um, from 2008 or so, 2009, okay. 
And it's just like a little snapshot of what the world was like 11 years ago. Yeah, I think I'm actually using that technology right now. <laughs> it was a webcam. And I went through a few webcams. Uh, and I think those, well, no, that ha that died with the Eurorack. I was trying to record directly into my laptop and I was picking mm -hmm. up a lot of noise. So I at least got a little more sophisticated than that. But yeah, there was, I think the problems that I had primarily were trying to sync the, trying to make the video, trying to sync the audio and the yeah. video together. It's just a nightmare. And I was using this virtual dub software, which I finally just gave up on. It's just <laughs> terrible. So some of my videos are very bad in terms of like the syncing or the, they, they're in slow motion because the, <laughs> because the, uh, uh, whatever it is, the compression or translation mm. of codecs yeah. or whatever was bad. Anyway, I digress. Well, in your day job, you're a software engineer, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I work at a at a local um, large employer uh, hospital um, mm -hmm. and uh, university, and so I do um, system integration. I guess is the way to put it. You have you've got a central, a big hospital system, and then you've got a whole bunch of machinery around it or other hospitals around it, whatever. So you might imagine if you go into radiology, there's an MRI machine there. The users of that MRI machine are working on the MRI machine. That machine means that the, it, it's it's advantageous for them to get the, the patient information down on that MRI machine. And so you've got to communicate that information around. So the patients are created in one system, then they have to be communicated to another. Integration is a nice area to get into because I think from ethically speaking, you don't want to turn a hospital into a software company. Hospitals shouldn't <laughs> be doing software. But in the case of integration, it's a nice exception because it's an ad hoc combination of systems. Um, it's justified. You got to get things to work, whatever. So so system integration is a great place to, uh, um, to do software work inside institutions or companies that aren't otherwise um, software oriented. Yeah, it's a, and the name of your company, I was I guessed because your studio.h, I was thinking you were the C library, standardio.h. Good guess. Kind of, yeah, so I saw it. Yeah, yeah. So your your technical career, you buy a bunch of Eurorack and go down that rabbit hole, um, which I'm totally unfamiliar with. That's how I got into Bukla, but that's a story for another day. Then you get a Bukla system, you meet Don, and so there's like this... I mean, we already know how the story ends, but you can already see this start the intersection of a technical, curious mind, this crazy ecosystem and thought, and the and the, the, the modules itself. So, how did you how did you go from there musically and getting into making modules? Like, what's that? Was that an intersection, or did they run parallel, or how'd that happen? Well, I started getting really deep into patching, and uh, and. Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. I've got, I find, I find working with control voltage is really appealing and that's maybe not for everybody. And so, you know, that was just my angle on it. And I was less involved with oscillators and filters over time and more and more, you know, fiddling with control voltages and the Buchla, I, 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 started having trouble with the Buchla in the, in the area of control voltage processing. So I was less, a lot of people were ranting about the tuning on the oscillators or the sound of the oscillators, the tracking. And I didn't really have much trouble with any of that, frankly. I was, uh, I could get them to perform adequately just by dialing in the voltages I required in the sequencers mm -hmm. and never used a tuner, didn't put a scope on it, nothing. And just, you know, playing intuitively uh, and um, attenuating envelopes in the 292 is something I go on about 
at uh, ad nauseum um, to uh, <laughs> to take control of the timbre of the instrument, which you can do considerably. Uh, and so I didn't I didn't really have trouble with the sound so much, but I was having trouble getting it to do what I wanted it to do. And uh, for whatever reason, along the way, I got to really do a shout out to Mark Verbos here because uh, I. Mark Verbos was producing a 258V, which is an all-analog oscillator. I can't remember why I bought it. Uh, I can't remember exactly. But anyway, I got this thing. And the very first video I ever made is up on YouTube as well with that thing. And I had like scrambled egg sounds coming out of it using FM <laughs> at times. I mean, like these little chuffs. And, and it's like, man, that's pretty dang cool. And so for whatever reason, I went further. Well, there's so many, there's so many pitch inputs on that on that oscillator i don't know what i was i don't know what i was doing i mean it's there on youtube and i could probably retrace the patch but you know it's yeah. like that thing it's like the first thing you do is always the coolest you know <laughs> this thing and it's like and then and then you settle into some rut and it becomes less interesting but uh so i was doing something with it and it was making these great sounds and that for whatever reason i went back to mark and i got the 254 okay and that mm -hmm. really turned on a light. I got that 254 and I put it in my system and it's like, oh my God, this is what the problem is. This thing is doing stuff that I've been trying to do here that I haven't been able to do since I got off Eurorack. And mm -hmm. it's a, it might be a subtle thing. And maybe most people aren't focused on CV or maybe those who are, don't, it doesn't matter. But for me, one there, there were uh, the, probably the main thing I was after was the ability to apply a VCA to a pulse train. You know what I mean by pulse train? I've seen you talk about that a few times, but I'm not yeah. sure what that really means. So a pulse train, let's see, there's probably a better way. Some of this comes from, from, from an engineering uh, jargon, but a pulse train would just be a steady um, clock signal. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Just steady pulses every eighth note or whatever. That's a pulse train. I wanted, to, I wanted to apply a VCA to it. Hmm. Have okay. you done that? And I did that with the 254E, you know, putting a pulse into the um, the right. input and then using try the... It, try it with the 256E. <laughs> okay. It can't be done. And here's why. <laughs> so here's the problem. The, the only CVVCA in the 200E catalog is the 256E. Yeah. Because it's a crossfader. So if you leave one side unpatched, it's essentially a cross... It's essentially a VCA. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know control the amount of crossfade and that's your VCA CV. And then the signal is on, on either the left or the right, depending, depending. And so that's the only VCA yeah. in this, that's the only CV VCA in the system. Yeah. And so when you send a pulse train into, what should I say? A clock. When you send a clock into the 256E, you don't get a clock out. Right. That's right. Have you tried it? I have. Yeah. It, yeah, it, doesn't... it doesn't work. Yeah. So, and the other thing you can do is you can, you can cascade it. You can say to make it even worse, you can take the <laughs> clock signal into the 256 and cascade it to the second channel and cascade that to the third channel down to the fourth and finally monitor yeah. the output. You can't even trigger. Well, I don't want to disparage it too unfairly. It's been so long since I tried to do that just to anger myself. <laughs> I don't think when you, when you get down to the end, I don't think you can trigger anything with it. No, not really. I mean, yeah. if you, if you send it a sustained pulse, but then it's just a control voltage. It's There's no really... such thing as a sustain. Okay, so exactly. that's what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you can get <laughs> yeah. away with you can you okay. So here's what you could do: you could send a pulse to the 281, and then you could use an envelope in right. the 256 and use that as a clock, but it still degrades. I I do that, and it has a level of unpredictability that is 
that's kind of fun, and you just sort yes. of embrace that. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. Yeah. I get it. But you're, looking for, but you want, you're looking for control. Like you actually want to control that, and so that's it. The that's thing is, is, is when when you patch something up and you find that you are unable to affect it. That's the problem. It's like, okay, yeah. so I've got this patch going and it sounds really cool. It should be the case that when I turn this knob, something changes. It's like, no, you know, this is a dead knob or <laughs> it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And that's where some frustration might come in. Now, I, I, I understand the idea that you have very, you know, you adjust your expectations, right? Right. But but the, the, the reality was with that 254V in there, it's like, I don't have to adjust my expectations. This thing is, has made a transformative, it transformed my system. At least in the way that I was using it, it's like, wow! I mean, this is this is an amazing uh, difference, and which is funny because it was—it's not even an oscillator. I mean, it might be funny to everybody. It's just like a—it's just a CV processor. So that kind of shows you where my focus was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a <clears throat> CV processor is such a fundamental aspect of a, a Buchla setup. It—it's kind of one, it's one of those things that you—you you have one because you're supposed to have one, and you can patch it in some really basic ways. Like I, I use it a lot with the 223E so I can get some really expressive, crazy stuff from that. But you just, yep. it, it's easy to just sort of let it be what it is. And then in the world of 5U or in Eurorack, there are CV processors, but they're not called CV processors necessarily. And they don't work the same way. They have all, like Maths is a great CV processor, for example. Um, so you, you know, you learn the different ways that those modules do things, but I have, I love how the 254E and the 256E are just like straightforward algebraic calculations on incoming and outgoing or incoming CV. And then you get some kind of result that's a function of that. Um, and two completely different ways, you know, I had, I had both and, um, used them in totally different ways for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at the interface and how it drives your your uh, your your um, use of the module. Like a, you can have a two fifty six and a two fifty four next to each other, and you use them totally differently. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's just strange. Or, or I found so so the problem with the with the two fifty four V was, uh, which is obvious. If I changed presets. I had these knobs that I couldn't touch. So, so what happens when you're when you're when you've got a preset system? The preset system is kind of a complicated subject when you're when you're talking about modular, because mm -hmm. uh, you quickly find. Uh, let's say, I mean, you've got the standard idea that you're going to use this to play live. Okay, that's the standard idea. Oh, I'm going to use these presets so I can do live whatever, press play, and everything's going to be wonderful. I can just scroll through my presets. Uh, even if that's your aim in the studio, you're going to find yourself. Scrolling through presets, trying to um, arrive at several presets that are good, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, when you do, when you have a something like 254V or a non-E module in there, you can't touch the knobs on it. Yeah, that's because true. if you touch the knobs, it breaks your other presets. Yeah. So, yeah. so I was thinking about it's like the 258 is the 258, you know. The, the non-E module is sort of like Pavarotti. It's beautiful, but it can't get off page one. <laughs> so it, it does one preset wonderfully. Now, there's ways around it. I mean, you can try to use an E module to uh, stage the control voltages going to it, say. Yeah. But you, you can't. That but, static but, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's still kind of a worker. You know, it's a workaround. And in, and in something like the 254V, where it's so central to all your control voltages, 
it's like I, I had to pull it back out again eventually. It took me years, but I eventually pulled it back out and I got another 256. Either that or I put my old one back in. I can't remember. Anyway, so I got another 256 just because just to have the e-functionality. And what I found was that 256 never got patched. Hmm. It's just like it just sat there in almost all of my patches. The 254, though, was in the center of everything. And so I started thinking about the, you know, there's a lot to think about in, in, with this stuff. And I was thinking about the, you know, the impact. This is what I was just mentioning, the impact of the interface. It's like, well, the yeah. 254V has an interface there that's compelling. And the 256, at least for me, didn't so much. It was mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, I'm not so thrilled about putting it, this into my, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the little knobs, it just, I don't know what it is about it. It just <laughs> didn't really, it wasn't inviting. I would have had to have it more central in my thinking. Okay, I'm going to make a 256E patch here, you know, mm -hmm. rather than with the 254, it was more like I'm doing something else. And oh, by the way, this thing would work nicely in this situation. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I can't really, I can't really describe why, but the 254V was a much more inviting panel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so anyway, so the, the very long answer to your question. The, the, the thing was is that, so I was also using a 255 at the time. And so I got a 255 early on, which was, which was an A-channel SLU processor, mm -hmm. which is kind of a one-off thing that Don did. Uh, and part of, like, uh, part of the, um, the set of modules for, um, I think, Dave Keen. Yeah, the um, 260, the, 297, 255. Is that right? Yeah, around yeah. that era, yeah. yeah. All right, so the 255 is wonderful, but it had some problems. And the pro the problems I was having with it um, is that I couldn't generate pulses. I, I, it, it was the rise is too slow to process pulses. So here I am again trying to jam pulses through CV jacks on the Buchla. <laughs> and so I think this was like Don's answer. It's like, well, you can't put a clock signal into the 256, although I never asked him that question. But I think his answer was generally, you know, you don't put pulses into into blue into uh black jacks you put them into the orange jacks right mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't support that and so um yeah yeah the 255 the 255 the rate the rise on it was too slow so you could so what i really wanted to do is i wanted to use an attack decay envelope i wanted i wanted eight attack decay envelopes in there right i wasn't really using it for slewing around cv all you can do that i wanted eight attack decay envelopes and i found the 255 250 e has a different pulse it's got a wider pulse you could just barely get the 250 e to work with the with the 255 okay, so and generate envelopes a, you're sending a pulse and that pulse is going to you're going to turn the that pulse into an envelope that's that's exactly saying. right okay. yeah yeah exactly you set right. the rise to zero and you set the fall to non-zero and you get in a, you get an envelope out of it and so if the slew if the rise is too slow it won't rise fully from the pulse it'll hmm. it'll come up a little bit and then the pulse is gone and and it falls. So you have okay. to have a you have to have at, at zero rise time, you have to have sufficient speed in there for that thing to fully deflect to 10 volts given a pulse input. And that, okay. I think the 250E pulse is about eight volts. And I th I never measured how much the 255 could produce there, but you know, it was probably in the range of five to eight volts for a for a envelope out, which isn't great, but there's there's a really nice effect that results from using a slew as an envelope generator. And when you've got the 281 and the 255 next to each other, using them both as envelopes, it's like night and day. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the 281 produces these very consistent envelopes and it makes your overall sound very uh, mechanical. 
Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, you're using a 255, if those pulses are not all coming in regularly, we're back to that pulse train mm-hmm. VCA thing, it rises, the envelope kind of rises and falls in, in yeah. a general way as those, as, that, as those pulses come in, in, in different, at different rates. Gotcha. And this is an extremely, you know, it's a really organic sound. And so it, you know, so people are focusing on, oh, my oscillator isn't organic enough. It's like, well, you know, part of that organic nature is coming out of your CV, Mm -hmm. you know. So anyway, so that, so the 255 was, was, uh, another, uh, non-E module that, um, that constrained the, not only did it not handle pulses well, but it constrained the ability to change presets. And so did that. Is that what led you down the path of creating your own CV processors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here's 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 the next part of that. So Buchla in two, 2012, I think, maybe 2011, became apparent, I can't remember how, they're going to do a 257E. Yeah. And if you go back on Muffler, I don't know if anybody ever does, does this, but there's this big thread, and I'm in the middle of it, uh, grill, <laughs> trying to grill them about whether or not it'll process pulses. <laughs> Because I'm really excited about this thing, and I'd been bitching about uh, pulse processing in 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 their lineup for it seemed like forever, and I thought, okay, now they're going to release this 257e. It's going to do pulses. I'm going to at least be able to knock out the 255 out of my system, and I'll get that. Well, when the 257e came out, it didn't do pulses either. I mean, it kind of does, yeah. But it's this. It was the same story. The 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 257e was like understand digitizes the the cv and so that's the main problem right pulses are extremely high frequency signals and if you're digitizing at a not a high enough resolution you're you're going to miss either the pulse entirely or or half of it right mm-hmm. yep and so when that came out i st- i got mad actually and i thought you know <laughs> well what is it it's i started thinking you know this is never going to happen I'm never going to get this stuff that I want, apparently. Yeah. And I thought, if I, if I want this, and, you know, when you look at the time, it's like nobody else was doing E anything. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, Chris Muir was doing stuff with the Pendulum Ratchet, and the, but that was all analog stuff. And it's like nothing's getting me closer to running an all E system. And I thought, you know, I'm probably just going to have to do this myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's pretty, uh, you know. You might say hubris or audacity, but anyway, so it's like, well, maybe I can do it. So back in, so I studied engineering and back in when when I was in school, uh, I uh, had some experience with microprocessors, uh, assembly coding and interfacing with hardware, some op amp work and that type of stuff. But that was a long time ago. But I thought, you know, I got all these books here and I thought, okay, you know, I should have everything here I need to do. And, you know, by the way, the internet apparently teaches me everything I need to know anymore. <laughs> and so this should be doable. And if it's not, hey, what the heck doesn't matter if I fail at this, you know, at least it, I kind of consider it a sort of graduate school sort of endeavor and yeah. primarily yeah. about learning. And I thought, you know, I'm not really playing this this instrument much anyway. And and so I, I have some time and I'll, I'll, I'll just try to do something. And so the first idea was to do a 258E. Why? Well, yeah, why? <laughs> well, all that because, <laughs> well, yeah, because everybody was pleading for it. Oh, yeah. And and I and I had a I had some extremely naive ideas how this would work, but I I thought that I could take a Roman 258 analog board and mate a digital board to it. Mhm. 
Otherwise, the 258 analog board would be totally stock. That's this is where I was coming from. It's like this is the dumbest idea ever because uh, that'll only work uh, anyway. It doesn't work for you, basically when you're doing this, you're talking about intervening in analog pathways with VCAs. This is how you use a digital knob to control the the analog signals. And well, mm -hmm. Roman's board doesn't have VCAs all over it, and you just simply can't do it. So that wasted about a year. Of, mm. of coming to realize that that was a dumb idea. And um, be, because of all of the realizations and the um, you know development, the, my learning during that, that period, I started thinking, you know, the real problem here is how to get CV working. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to switch over to the 254 mm. now. And because if I can solve crossfading and I can solve uh, by bipolar attenuation and offset was easy but if i can solve those i can go go back to the 258 and at least i've got those cv questions answered and now i'm at least stuck with just an analog you know try to make the analog part work and so that's when i went to the 254 and uh, understanding that there was magic and having no idea what i was doing at the time i thought i don't know what it is about this panel but uh, i better just make it the same way and i thought you know i could I could change it up a little bit, but it would be irrational. It's like, this is such a rational layout. I could mm -hmm. move the knobs around and I thought, you know, it's not what I want. So I made it for better or worse, exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the 258E is, um, well, actually the dual programmable oscillator as it as the name of the module is, although everybody calls it the 258E. It's one of those things where it is kind of um, an it, it's take on, taken on a life of its own. I, I think that the other modules that you've made, the 254, 255, um, and the control and signal router are very much Doug Clotter. You know, if, if we're talking about Doug, those are the modules that come to mind. But that 258E has become part of just the, the, the ecosystem. You know, it's almost like it's just one of the oscillators that people could or should get for their Buchla systems. Which is funny because after all, what you said, like the control voltage is your vision. You know, that's yeah. the thing that you care the yeah. most about. All of your modules are fantastic. I've owned all of them except the 255. Um, but this is kind of like, I think it's because it goes back to what you said where people are starting with the sound. You know, what does the oscillator sound like? Is it tracking pitch? Does it get MIDI? Is it E? And you were starting with the control voltage and the oscillator is kind of the sound source that is a, an important detail of the of the of what you're trying to accomplish but i wanted to shift just kind of over to your music so you bought all this stuff not just to collect it and not as an investment you wanted to make sounds and music right and was it more than the videos that you wanted to make is, is was your music kind of an expression of your exploration of these things or did you or are you a musician kind of how do you yeah uh so i was just you know, fascinated with the, with the process and uh, it was leading me to certain results. And once I hit those points of sort of astonishment, I guess is one way of putting it, maybe exaggerating a little, I, I thought yeah, I was compelled to share. And so that's really what it was. It wasn't really, yeah. it was never. And so this is all, this is all connected to a whole bunch of other stuff about uh, the process rather than the, the result and, and how, you know, the, the extent to which you fixate on the result with a modular, it's frustrating. Maybe anyway, these are maybe my own opinions, but, but, uh, <laughs> so, so the modular, I would say encouraged me or 
or fit well with my, uh, it was, well, it, it led me to do, I think, to focus more on uh, the journey, <laughs> sorry yeah. to use mm -hmm. that term. But anyway, this focus more on the journey than, than and, and if the result came out and, and let's say the result never happened, then it's like, yeah, okay, this is dumb. But the result almost always happens, right? There's almost always this kind of eureka moment. I don't know if it's 15 minutes in or an hour, or maybe it's a patch you re revisit the next day, something suddenly happens and you're like, okay, that's extremely rewarding. And so that would bring you back, bring me back. Yeah. That, that's a kind of a common thread. Um, yeah. In a good way, between amongst the folks in the modular community, I mean, even when we, when Kyle and I go to the live performances here in Seattle, most of them are not compositions. They're people who have they're doing an exploration with their modular, you know, seeing what happens and have a basic idea. And that's what I think one of the things that makes it so much fun. And uh, like Kyle and I come from two completely different backgrounds, as we've talked about before. He has guitars hanging on his wall, you know, and he's in a band and on all of that. And I come, I'm more of the academic exploration of trying to do, you know, classic music theory in this electronic world. So it's really interesting to just kind of hear from different people about how they end up making music and the different paths that they take to that, which is really, you know, there's so much about you that it's like you're this specter, you know, <laughs> there's this, <laughs> who is he? Never even saw a picture of you, you know, yeah. like here, here he is. Um, <laughs> well, and I've heard, and it's funny because I think I've talked to maybe two different people that have brought you up and, and like kind of referred to you as like a patch Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> and sure. just talking about like, you know, like your, the, the pulse train and getting envelopes off pulses. It's like, uh, I've never thought of that. Yeah. And I mean, so it's, it, I don't, I don't think I've mentioned this, but after several episodes, you'll send me, you'll email me like a, a patch exploration, which is really cool. After we did the control and signal router one uh, with Barry Schrader, I think it was. Um, and you're like, here's a really cool patch that you can do. And I thought, oh my, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, you were. Yes, yeah, it's a whole, totally different subject too about this, uh, the impact of this of this CSR on your on your experience at the Buchla. And I'm still sort of um, on the fence about it to a certain extent. It does lead you to this this compulsion to make a set patch. This seems to yeah. be, it's not just CSR 210 is similar. It's like, okay, now I can, mm -hmm. I guess it just has to do with the fact that it can virtualize patch routings. And you're like, yeah. well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to now, you know, patch through it for the purpose of, of, you know, changing my patch cords. And this immediately leads to some sort of thought, strategic thought about how to patch, which is, this is what I mean. I'm kind of on the fence about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it kind of takes you into places that are ne not necessarily <laughs> pleasant. Yeah, yes. I mean, I could, I could definitely see that. You know, with yeah. starting out with the intent to make a one patch, it was perfect right. for that. But I was telling Kyle that I really use it as a, like a one to five distributor a lot. You know, take one signal and send it, yes. especially with audio. That's yes. where it really, I mean, right. nothing else. I can't think of another module that does that. And you can't stack right. audio cables. So, and right. then attenuating so, the amount of um, audio, you know, through the, through the CSR was really nice too. Yeah. So that, so being able to, and, and the same thing with the CV, you're, you're, you've got basically every row is a CV buffer. Yeah. So you can now take your CV and run it to uh, 
you know, a number of, you know, pitch CV. This is where buffers are mm -hmm. important. Uh, and route it to a number of destinations. And you don't get the droop, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you can just patch into one of those rows to take that CV somewhere and you don't get the droop out of it because it's a buffer. So that's really, that's really not, that's, you know, not available otherwise in the system, which is, you know, I had CV buffers in my, uh, I think it was plan B made one in my Euro rack. You know, you want a buffer on your, on your pitch CV. So you yeah. can dynamically patch more stuff from it without it throwing everything off. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the things about Bukla versus Euro rack where like I'm telling a friend of mine, I really need a, you know, a one to five or one to three distributor. And so here's my $2,000 module that does that. And then he's like, well, this $99 yeah. <laughs> module. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You know, it's like, here, this right. does it. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not supposed that. to do that because it's not part of the right. <laughs> part of the system. Like the right. limitation of it all being, there are a finite number of modules that can be a really great limitation. But sometimes you're just, you know, man, there's some stuff I really wish I could do. Maybe I'm not supposed to do that because <laughs> there's some arbitrary limit in the format. We've talked about this so many times on the show. There's 70 VCAs inside the CSR. So wow. that might be a good comeback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Holy. Yeah. Um, Seven. <laughs> analog. 70 analog VCAs. Anyway, sorry. Uh, that was, God, I have to go back. Uh, well, you know, of course, all of this is available. It's Instagram. So my Instagram account has kind of when I first, I think it was New Year's 2018. Yeah, I think that's when that I've got a little Instagram video of me hitting the, the randomizer on that thing, flashing all the lights. That was the very first moment yeah. that thing was doing that. Yeah. And that was on like New Year's Day, I remember, because it was sort of a New Year's, it looked like a New Year's party, you know, like the, <laughs> all the flashing lights and everything. Uh, so I think that's about when that started. So the thing with the two, with the, well, anyway, I, I wanted to mention one thing about the, the, the dual programmable oscillator in regard to being a kind of a taking on its own life. I was aware at the time, there was a lot of pressure while I was developing this module that I was potentially making something that was going to become part, part of everybody's system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this was going to be a really important module. So I was aware of that the entire time. And so it was uh, liberating to uh, move from that notion of Romans 258 panel to trashing that entirely and saying, I've got E now, what should an E panel look like? Mm -hmm. And this is where you, you, this is what happened. It's like, you know, it needs to have all of these other functions in there, you know, it, <laughs> it needs to have preset, um, um, storable features that are going to radically change its behavior to, mm -hmm. to allow you, you know, a lot of people going about the gestures on the 200E, it's sort of gesture oriented. The idea there is that you can quickly change the sound without altering your patch cords, right? You just push a button and something changes. So, so that was pretty liberating. Yeah. But uh, so now what were we talking about on the CSR? Sorry. Uh, uh, no, we're just kind of jumping <laughs> around because, well, All right. you know, you, you see a need, and you fill it. That's kind yeah. of your, you know, your other other people yeah, who yeah, have okay. made modules are coming up with new ideas, which is awesome. But you're also like, these are things that I'm suffering with, so I'm going to make these modules. That yes, exactly. And so that so the so my uh, projects thus far, and the 258 might be an, might be a, a, a an exception, but my my everything I've done so far has been a very personal. I mean, it's 
-hmm. primarily I'm the customer. It's like, this yeah. is for me primarily. And I think other people are going to want this in the case of the 255. No, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I should have known because nobody wanted the original 255 either. But, <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, um, it's not quite true, but anyway, so, uh, it, but I didn't really care. And so the idea was that, okay, I'm going to make this for me primarily. It'd be really cool if other people like this, but it's sort of like, it'd be cool if other people like this in the sense that other people will like my video. You know, it wasn't really, it's yeah. not really essential. It's like, okay, that's really cool that I've struck a chord here. It wasn't really the primary, it wasn't really the primary aim. So the 258E is not really in, in that category so much. It's kind of like, you know, I'm kind of okay. I kind of like the idea. I sort of had a dream a long time ago of having the 258, the 259, the 261, and the 254 <laughs> in there all under E. That was a dream of like of 2011 or so yeah. when yeah. I had those modules in there. And so I, I did have that kind of compulsion, which is exactly what I have now, by the way. But anyway, so the CSR, <laughs> and I remember what I was going to say, the CSR, you know, the 210E is a problem, right? Yeah. And so uh, the, the problem with it is, and I've got a video on that too. Um, God, I guess i got a video on just about everything. There's a, the, the 210E, and I, I didn't realize it. It sounds awesome, actually, if you use it to. So the, the 210E has the only CV mixer in the entire system. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the only Buchla module with a CV mixer. Yes. I mean, you yeah. can kind of do that with the 256E, but I wouldn't call yeah, it a mixer. Yeah, mixing with a crossfader. No, thank yeah. you. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so it's the only CV mixer. So how do you do transpose with CV? Right. You, yeah, you, add you more make CV. Yeah. So, how do you do transpose in the 200E? Well, you use the 210. So, it's like the very first things I was trying to do. And so, you run the uh, a couple of CV signals into the 210E and you take that to your oscillator, and weird things start happening. And I wouldn't say they're necessarily bad. <laughs> but, but they're, but they're weird and they're, there's something you can't get rid of. And what's happening is the 210E is doing a lot of work. It's amazing that it even functions. It's, it's visiting every one of those uh, nodes. Sequentially yeah. and trying to sample, I think this is what's happening. It's trying to sample the CVs on every single node sequentially, process them, and try to produce that CV on the outputs. I mean, it's amazing that you would even try that. It's just a huge volume of information that has to be uh, processed. And the problem is that there's a certain resolution in that process. And when CV hits digitization, it gets, this is what digitization does. It, it takes the value and it puts it in one of two adjacent numbers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're a, you're a 2048 or you're a 2049. I can't decide which you're, you know, if it's clear, you know, uh, it'll put it in one and it'll put it in the other. If it's right in between, the result tends to jitter and bounce between the two. Right. I call them, you know, allowed voltages. You've got the output has to has these discrete it's a quantizer essentially it's it's quantizing to certain allowed voltages and so if your cv hits right between that it'll it'll tend to jitter and the only way to get rid of that is by filtering and but if you filter you introduce slew mm -hmm. and so you don't want slew in your cv you want and especially if you're going to try to process pulses in there you don't want any slew at all <laughs> it's got to be very quick so there's these design constraints that make it impossible uh, the, I guess the only thing you can do is have extremely high resolution, but then you run into problems with noise. I think I'm saying the right thing. Anyway, so, yeah. so this thing is is bouncing between these two allowed values, and it's doing it at very high frequency. What very high frequency? Probably what? I don't know, maybe 400 hertz or something. It's bouncing between these two things, maybe higher. And it that signal goes directly into the oscillator, and it comes out the audio. Because the oscillators, the 200E oscillators, or any other oscillators, is it true? Any, I don't know about 
all oscillators, but the oscillators I've been using are sensitive enough to sense that uh, high frequency um, indecision that's coming out of the 210 and it produces noise mm -hmm. on the output. It sounds I uh, uh, akin it to a, a kind of a goat bleeding sound. It kind of sounds <laughs> like the, the throat of a goat bleating. <laughs> and so this can be a really cool sound actually through a filter. Yeah. So you got a good note, good note, good note, bleat. Good note, yeah. good note, good note, bleat. And it's like, I don't know why the 200D is doing this. It sounds kind of cool, right? And then over time, uh, listening to other people, uh, primarily Lionel uh, on Muffergo, you're like, yeah, 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 I see. <laughs> yeah, he found it. This is this is actually <laughs> wrong. And so, so here's the 210E. I've got the I've got these modules. This is the most recent module, right? Okay. So I've got all these modules, and I got the 210. It's like, what am I going to do with that 210? Because I can't produce a working version of that thing that's identical to what's currently coming out of Buchla, right? Mm -hmm. That that yeah. would be wrong, wouldn't it? Um, so I got to change. I have to change yeah. the yeah. the panel in, in some significant way. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't want this dumb just move the knobs around problem to make it different for no good reason. Yeah. And this was a couple of years, three years ago, maybe when I was first thinking of it. And um, I was going on and on about, you know, what I really want to do here. What do I really want to do with the 210? That, so the 210 has this problem. The interface has this problem in which you've got to scroll through the, the nodes. And uh, I think a lot of people have complained. It kind of takes you out of the flow. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Right? You've got you, you got this grid you're dealing with. And I thought, how can I, no matter what I do here with these matrices, I'm going to have that effect, no matter what you do. To, to route through matrices is going to always have this effect of taking you out of the flow. So how do you minimize that effect? And I thought, and I was literally pressing on the LEDs in my 210 thinking, that's what I want. <laughs> Cool. I just want to click that thing and select that and then affect it. And so then that opened up this big question. Okay, can I find LEDs that you can touch? And this went on and on and had me stalled for a long time. Apparently, in fact, you can. They have LEDs that you can touch. They're capacitive. Mm. They're junk is the problem. And so <laughs> uh, at least the ones that I found. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I had to buy prototypes out of, I don't know where it was, Korea or whatever. But uh, And they only came in five millimeter. And so the, the LEDs on the 210 are three millimeter. So the, the LEDs, the touchable LEDs were five millimeter. And not only were they ugly and did, they, they didn't work in capacitive touch as a, you know, something I wasn't certain about, I wanted to get into anyway, I had made a, a, a critical decision or I started entertaining the idea of a five millimeter hole instead of a three millimeter hole at each one of those nodes. And what that means is that you can't have as many nodes. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Yeah, so I'd already right. kind of crossed that like you're yeah. going to have to sacrifice a channel exactly. for each or something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that those touch LEDs got me thinking about five millimeter. And then I was over at uh, Modular 8. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah, with in Portland. Yeah. I was over there at Modular 8, and uh, which I stopped by there sometimes. Haven't in quite a while, obviously, virus and all that stuff. But occasionally I would stop by there. And Scott Yeager from Harvestman, what is it called now? Uh, industrial, uh, electrical, uh, industrial Music Electronics. Music electronics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a plug for Scott Yeager. I Scott Yeager yeah. okay. is, is an amazing, great yeah. guy. Yeah, he and, is. He's a, um, he's a very good hang. Yeah, he's <laughs> wonderful. Anyway, so uh, uh, he was doing a demo of his, and I got there after it was over. It was the Harvest Man. Sorry, not Harvest Man. I keep saying that. It was the Piston Honda version three or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the Mark three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was what it was, but anyway, I think I think that's what it was. Probably, probably, probably would be about two years ago. 
it yeah. would maybe make sense in the timeline. So I walk in there and, and he's still, he came over and we're standing there in front of that big Eurorack they have there and his piston hole is still there. And he starts to kind of give me a demo cause he's, you know, super generous. And even in spite of the fact he just went through it, he's going through it again. And, uh, he's showing me how this thing works. And I, my eyes just fixated on these illuminated buttons, which are Orange. probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably ubiquitous in the Eurorack uh, world, but it was my first, for whatever reason, encounter with them in real life. I, you know, being Buchla centric, I hadn't really been paying attention. And I saw these things. It's like, wow, that's what I need right there. Why am I even looking at capacitive touch LEDs? I can just do a button there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so Scott being the amazing person that he is starts to rattle off part numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sounds like Scott. Yeah. Yep. Which I couldn't even, I don't think I could give you the part number. It turns out this is a company uh, I can't remember the name of the company. Uh, highly, and they uh, they can do custom colors for you. So it's a bicolor, and so I ordered a sample of every possible color they had. And mm. so the the concern comes up that you've got seventy no you've got seventy nodes. If and LEDs are generally rated at twenty milliamps, and uh, so you you can't run them at 20 milliamps. What's that mean? When you're running 20 milliamps, they're about the right illumination. That's the idea. Mm, yeah. yeah. But it turns out that LEDs vary. So I had to sample all of them <laughs> to see which ones were the absolute <laughs> brightest. I mean, like blindingly bright. And the reason was I wanted to cut the current going to them to a minimum. Because I was concerned yeah. with that with that CSR, somebody turns on all the lights and it brings your system down because it's pulling yeah. suddenly two amps or something, right? Yeah. So so I went through all their colors and it turns out that that green and that white were the two most intense colors hmm. that they made available. And I wasn't so hot on green; I wanted it to be yellow or whatever. Yeah. But that's what that's what we got. That's it's interesting because I I liked the green. I think it's fine. Now. It's yeah. super easy to see, you know, yeah. um, it doesn't yeah. fatigue my eyes. Right. Like red would have been terrible. Blue can be tough to see, to, to yep. differentiate, you know, I, I thought the green was a design decision on your part. <laughs> no, not really. That's why I mentioned it. So I, I thought, I think yellow probably would have been a little more consistent with the Buchla. Uh, yeah, probably. But, but green but means they have, gl- like, oh. yeah. And there's some, is, aren't there green buttons on the 292E? Yeah. Yes, there are green lights everywhere. I'm just looking here on the 251. There's some green, and yeah, yeah there's yeah. some on the two, uh, 285, and I think there's some on the there's the modulation selection. Yeah, they're all over the place, basically. It, it's yeah. so fascinating. I mean, so when you buy something, you know, you go to the store, you order it or whatever, and it shows up. You just you don't think about what it took to make that. You you only think about the last step, which is the assembly. But hearing you go through all the talking about all the decisions you had to make and the things you had to experiment with, the stuff that we think is just, yeah, Doug saw this in his mind, went out and bought the stuff and made it. But you actually had to do, and there's some like uh, some just auspicious events that led to, but that's really cool to know. I mean, I had no idea. And so then there's another thing. There's another thing that happened with that CSR. It's like, well, okay, if I if I do this selection. If I change the selection criteria, it's it's kind of interesting how this happens. You you have one idea, and then you, if you're lucky, you'll ponder its implications. You know, if you don't, if you're <laughs> unlucky, you'll just go with it and you won't realize. But I was lucky one day, and I was talking to another Buchla user over email. Don't know if I should mention, but anyway, so, uh, and just through talking through it, it, it suddenly dawned on me, and it had to do with a mutant solo. The solo function on the 210e is kind of dedicated. It's this, I can solo, is it an output or an input? 
And I thought, how would I do the solo? Given the selection criteria now, I don't need two encoders anymore. In the old in the old 210, you got to have two encoders because there's a separation. So mm -hmm. it started. I started to open up that that right margin on that module for functionality that I hadn't really, you know, thought of. I mean, it's like, well, okay, now I've got some space, which is exciting when it comes to panel yeah. panel design. It's like this is flexibility. I can do something here, and the mutant solo. Or the, sorry, the solo idea on the 210e, I kind of abstracted. It's like, well, a solo of an output is a is a column select, right? Yeah. And a mm -hmm. and a uh, or, or, and a solo on an input is a row select. So I'll yeah, just sure. do an entire row selection, an entire column selection, and apply mute and solo to just entire rows and columns. And I and I get away from this notion of input and output. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, now you can just mute and solo whatever you want. In fact, it doesn't even have to be a row; it could be a single node if you want. Mm -hmm. So, so that was that was uh, pretty exciting. And then, so that opened up the idea of okay, I need this selection thing where I can do rows and columns. And then that opened up the idea of well, I have to be able to select everything because one of the frustrating experiences on the 210e is I changed the patch and I got all these nodes on and I got to turn them off. Yeah. <laughs> it takes me forever to scroll through all these nodes yeah. and turn everything off. And so the main idea with that all was just select all the nodes, click the encoder, it turns everybody off. Yeah. 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 It's forward only on the 210e when you're tapping that button. So if you miss it, you have to go around yeah. for another. It's like missing an exit. That's it's, right. <laughs> to go back. And um, also you're constantly, you're constantly kind of mapping. Where am I? You know, you're like, I, I you know, you move it to one and you kind of, kind of look at the chords and see, make sure you're on the one you want. It's, there's, there's a little bit extra effort there. So I've, I've also got another, you know, I got a little patch here set up. I could. Yeah, go for it. Share a little more here. Okay. So. Okay, so this is about the. Sorry, I'm yelling. I shouldn't yell. This is about the um, 261e. But by the way, this I think is the DPO we're listening to right now, uh, doing the bass. But the the 261e modulation oscillator is a surprisingly lovely sound here, and so I'm going to turn that up here. And so we are transposing in the CSR. So this is a little bit of a CSR show off too, in that, like I said, transpose of pitch is impossible in the Buchla system without it. Is that true? I want to make fair statements. I think it's true. So here's the 261E modulation oscillator coming in. Okay, so the point here that I wanted to make is that and I discovered this recently, if you modulate the wave shape of the modulation oscillator on the 261, it's a wonderful effect. And I'll show it to you here. I'm going to plug the cable in. Oh, pretty. Anyway, so that's, yeah, that. that's nice. I just yeah. wanted to show off the the 261 there and the the effect of transposing. Transposing can be pretty tricky with CV, um, but I think you can, I saw yeah. I think I saw you uh, maybe as a YouTube or uh, sorry a um, either YouTube or Instagram where I think you were just adjusting your 255 and it was like transposing. Um, 
that two fifty no the two fifty five in that in that video. I know the one you're talking about. That one is well, if you're talking about the one on Instagram, that is a envelope only. Okay. That adjustment on the two fifty five is the envelope only. The transpose is fixed and happening elsewhere. No matter the, what. Yeah. What, yeah, there, yeah, I think that's it. I, I have another case where driving the CV input on the 250 using a slewed input to do different kinds of arpeggiation. But I don't mm -hmm. think that's what you're talking about. That's a long time ago. So do you have uh, – you got anything on the on the horizon? Well, okay, so we can talk a little bit about this wireless preset manager. I wanted to kind of – I don't know how much we should talk about this because it doesn't work. No, it's true. Does it not work? <laughs> In progress. <laughs> okay, give us like an overhead view of – what, what this thing is yeah 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 so the wireless preset how did this happen i want to blame <laughs> I want to blame somebody <laughs> Whom to blame? so so uh i don't know if i should mention names another uh, another recent uh bukla 200e guy does wonderful makes wonderful sounds how many other hints should i drop lives there in washington anyway so he um <laughs> he drops me this email oh god you know It'd be really cool if I could do things with Bluetooth or something like that, right? And so I start looking at this, and I just in the conversation, it starts off. My conversation starts off with no, you know, no way. I never want to do this. Forget <laughs> it. And then as, but he got me thinking about it. You know, a few showers later, which is where I do all my thinking. <laughs> um, it's like, wait a second. So the so the 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 problem with trying to use a computer to control the Bukla for me is that um, Bluetooth or otherwise, is that I didn't want to get into, into writing client software. I didn't want to write software that would run on a Mac, you know, in Java or whatever. And mm -hmm. it, I would be dealing endlessly with OS issues or drivers or whatever. And the other thing is that front end work, you know, what buttons and things, features, it would be a totally thankless job because like no matter what I did, it wouldn't be quite there. It's, it takes, it's incredibly complicated and time consuming. It's very much underestimated in my opinion by, by the people who use it. I mean, it's, I don't want to, you know, disparage anyone, but I mean, it's sort of like, can't you just add this? Can't you just add this? Can't you just add this? And I, I really didn't want to get, go down that path. And it occurred to me that I didn't have to, I could develop a device that responded to um, HTTP URL, like a, like, like a web server. It would respond mm -hmm. to web server requests, like a, a URL. So you could use a browser. Okay, the browser is the client, all right? I don't have to write the client anymore. I just mm -hmm. put a browser, I put a URL in my browser, and I hit go, and this device uh, executes a command on the on the Bukla bus. And so I have a, a list wow. of, uh, if you go to my GitHub, everybody loves going to GitHub, right? If you go to my, just please, you know, sign, sign my petition, go, go to my, anyway. So if you go to my Git, GitHub area, which no one will ever do, there is, I got a full list there of all of the URLs that this thing will respond to. It, in, it includes remote enable, disable. It includes uh, preset, save, whatever. Uh, recall, it also includes all of the MIDI commands. You can send any MIDI command, to any bus. Um, wow. uh, to to the device using a URL call, and so it's very easy. The URLs you just put the note you want and the and the bus you want on the, as a URL parameter, and you execute it. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, how many? How, you can't really control MIDI from a browser, right? <laughs> so it's it's not really there. I mean, in terms of but the but the functionality is there. And I had one. I've sent a few of these out for prototyping, and and one user one I hate that term. Anyway, somebody had uh, uh, wired up Max MSP to 
execute mm -hmm. URLs and change presets on it. Just as so, I know it, it looked. Wow. I haven't done it myself, but it looked fairly. Max MSP at least can call URLs on it, mm -hmm. and um, so that's where it started. And then it started to then it sat for a long time because I thought. Well, so here's the problem. I don't really have a use for this thing. I don't plan on using it. For me, the Buchla is a way of getting away from the computer. Yeah. And and I don't have a problem with the preset manager module, but but I'm not I'm not necessarily in the majority here. There are a lot of folks who don't want to buy a preset manager, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. a waste of money or whatever. Uh, they've got uh, e modules in their system with no preset manager. So mm -hmm. they've got to hit remote if they even know about it. Got to press and hold remote on every one of their modules before they shut down or they lose everything. So and I also thought, you know, like, hey, the what is it? The easel K. I don't know if the easel K yeah. has an extra connector on it, but this would be an excellent. Yeah. You, there's no room for a preset manager in the easel K. So how do you how do you use the 223 without a preset manager? Right. right? Yeah. So you're using one thirtieth of what you purchased there, basically, yeah. right? Because you can only use one preset. So there were some there's some I think. Uh, nice features, but they're not features that I would use. So this thing kind of has been in this weird uh, state uh, uh, state with status with me. It's like, I, I'm not really going to use it. I'm speculating about other people's uses. And um, in a, yet another conversation, the idea was, well, there were some outstanding features that this thing could do that I hadn't developed because I figured they were going to be hard, and they were. Mm -hmm. One was to, I wanted to be able to do preset backup and restore using it. And mm -hmm. so what that means is that, so back by backup and restore, what I mean is you put a card in the back of your Buchla, you use the preset manager to say backup, and it the preset manager goes to every module and asks every module to dump its 30 presets to the card. And this is kind of an elaborate process. Well, it turns out that underneath the covers, the preset manager is asking each module individually to back up its presets. So uh, you can, instead of using the preset manager, you can, in principle, you can send down commands that are module specific. Say, hey, uh, 291E, give me your presets, just your presets. Hey, mm. uh, 292, give me just yours. And so this is already kind of appealing. It's like a, you don't have to be in the, in for the full, uh, well give me everything, uh, <laughs> and I hope it all works. You can, and so that was part of it. The other part of it is, insofar as you can use a browser to to grab the presets, you're pulling the preset data off of your 200e and bringing it into your phone or computer as text. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's that do? That's like, well, now I could, I in principle, I could change the the values and send it back. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the idea is that you you open up the 200e to manipulation out, out, outside, uh, not just in terms of changing presets and so forth, but actually loading, uploading and downloading the, the, to memory on it. So that was one of the hard problems. And the other, the other hard problem was, in principle, I should be able to do firmware updates. And yeah. so the idea would be, well, I can take a hex file off bukla.com and I can download it to this, or upload it, I don't know which it would be, to this device that's plugged into my Buchla, and then I can restart the Buchla holding remote enable down and update the firmware on the on the target module. Mm. So mm -hmm. this now gets rid of the need for the um, Mac uh, firmware Buchla, even though I would miss it because it's, you know, it's got Buchla's face on it, it's got Don's <laughs> face on it. Uh, it. You don't have to, you now you can use a browser to, uh, send your um, hex file to your to your module, basically. So we've got 
preset functionality, MIDI functionality, um, this un unprecedented idea of pulling all of your preset data off of your Buchla altogether and sending it back in real time, essentially. And then finally, uh, firmware. I, it's exhausted all of the features that are uh, that the Buchla system supports on the on its bus. So mm -hmm. that's what it does. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, I, I, and I can see why it's tough to like, like you said, it's, if if you're not necessarily going to use all of those aspects of it to like have it draw your attention to really put all that effort into it to to make or you know to get it out right away. But but it's good that uh, you've got some units out there. And uh, well, the, the other thing, the other thing. So one thing that we just added and and. and I just sent this to Rob. I added a, a switch on it to switch between Primo and V2, which hadn't occurred to me until just recently. So you, uh, Jason Butcher reached out to me and he want, he said he's running V2. And I thought, well, I can just put it in the web page. And then I thought, no, that's not where it goes. It actually goes on a switch. And so this thing will, by virtue of a switch, by, by the way, all my modules have this. You can switch old firmware, new firmware. It'll, they'll, they'll work either way. And so, hmm. um, that was one thing, and and more recently, another another episode of thinking about the implications of what what your ideas are. I I like the idea of having in the 200e on the back panel, you know those little breakout panels. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of having a USB host on there for mm -hmm. so you can plug in your um, USB MIDI controller. Yeah, right. And so is it so since I've got a device here that can put stuff on the preset bus. Should I put a jack on this thing that could talk in principle to a another a, a USB host on a back panel and maybe carry over RS-232 or something? And so now I'm still, it's the point is that it's still kind of premature. It's like, I'm not sure this mm -hmm. thing is fully baked and ready for release. Hmm. Well, keep us posted. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to thank you, Doug, for coming on the show today. It was a fantastic conversation. I learned so much. Um, it just was like, it was everything I expected and not what I expected at all. So I think that's a really okay. good way of putting it. No, that's a big, that's a compliment. I think like, you know, I, I wondered if, um, I don't know. I, I just thought after talking to you for so long about so many different things, always technical, I, I just thought that would sort of, you know, that was the model I'd formed. So it was really cool just to kind of, you know, to get to know you and, and um, hear about your design philosophies and, especially that you built these modules for yourself, which is very, very uh, fascinating and cool. So thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We'd like to thank Doug Clotter for being on the show today. Check out studioagesoftware.com for info about Doug's stuff and to contact him if you'd like to buy anything. Check out Tim Held's podcast, The Podular Modcast, as well as Ben Wilson and Ed Ball's Esoteric Modulation Podcast. Visit waveformmagazine.com for more details on how you can subscribe to their quarterly synthesizer magazine. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash source of uncertainty. And you can get your source of uncertainty t-shirts at sourceofuncertainty.threadless.com. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website at sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Source of Uncertainty. And until next time. See you later. <laughs>